I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Dabo Sweeney, he called me probably like third day. You have your, uh, do you have your snorkeling gear and your your scuba gear? And I'm like, what are you talking about? And he goes, hang in there. Like I know you're swimming right now. I know it feels like you're drowning because there's so much coming at you. Just hang in there. It'll get better. Well, we have another good conversation with Shane Beamer underway. And Brett, you said last week you'd come back for another conversation. You, you're always happy to talk Gamecocks. Uh, Brett Griffin, by the way, Andrew Curlin here. I actually heard Spencer Rattler after the game talk about that offensive line, you know, maybe not necessarily doing the best that they could, but he defended them, which I thought was pretty cool of Spencer to do that, you know, because I feel like you could just shove the blame one way, but it seems like it's a pretty tight-knit team that they've got. You know, Spencer called a lot of crap coming out of that documentary where he was QB1, and, and I've seen nothing but a class act the last two years with him at the University of South Carolina. He carries himself well. He supports his team. He loves the university. The fact that he came back for another year to help his you know, stock draft for the NFL. And, and there were people who wondered if he's an NFL guy. If you watch week one against North Carolina, he's, a, he's an NFL guy. There's no doubt about it. It was exciting to see college football back, especially Shane Beamer back on the sidelines for South Carolina. When we jump into part two of this conversation, we're going to learn a little bit more about Shane Beamer's introduction to the head coaching job. I mean, it sounds like a complete whirlwind. I I can't even imagine being in his shoes. You don't quite realize all of the non-football tasks that come across his desk, all the, the different things that you have to manage as a head coach. Why don't we get into it, shall we? We shall. You talked earlier about seeing it from your dad firsthand, the highs and lows that can come with being on a football staff in a coaching career. What's an obstacle that you think was a tough one to overcome in terms of getting to this head coaching job you had now? And was there any adversity that you felt like, all right, this was the one big hump I had to get before I got to the full-time job? Great question. Full-time job, meaning here at yeah, this position? Yeah. Um, I think for me, probably the biggest thing that I felt like I had to overcome during my career, so I was, I was an assistant coach for, I guess, 20 years before I got this job here at South Carolina, and um, probably the stigma, if you want to call it that, of not having been an offensive coordinator 
or defensive coordinator. And I've said it before. I mean, I think that's ridiculous. But it's kind of like the, nat the, the natural, like, hierarchy in football coaching is a guy becomes a position coach, a guy becomes an offensive coordinator or defensive coordinator. And then if they're a really good offensive coordinator or defensive coordinator, they get to be a head coach. And I get that, but it doesn't always make it right. Like, just because a guy is a really good offensive mind and can call plays doesn't necessarily make him be a great head coach. And just because a guy maybe isn't an offensive wizard doesn't mean that he wouldn't be a great head coach because there's, yeah, there's a lot of similarities, but there's a lot of differences in the two positions as well. So I was a special teams coordinator and I was a recruiting coordinator and I coached on offense and defense. So I felt like the steps that I was taking and the roles that I was in really, truly, honest to God, I felt like I still feel like prepared me for the role that I'm in as the head coach better than if I had just been an offensive coordinator or defensive coordinator. But um, so many decision makers, I think, have a lazy way of thinking. Well, he hasn't been an offensive coordinator, so he's probably not ready to be a head coach. Well, why hasn't he been an offensive coordinator? Why hasn't he been a defensive coordinator? And I'm sitting here saying, I'm glad I'm not. Like, not that I would have turned down an offensive coordinator job somewhere, but I really felt like just the, the moves that I was making and the roles that I had at different places had prepared me better for this role that I'm in right now, this chair that I'm in. Like when we're sitting in our team meeting room, the first time I ever stood up in front of a team as the head coach, talking to an entire team was not the first time I had ever spoken to the entire team because the only other coach on the staff other than a head coach that does that is the special teams coordinator. Yeah. Because when you're the special teams coordinator, you deal with every player on the roster um, and you got to be organized and you got to be able to develop relationships with every player. So that was an obstacle just because I felt like I was ready to be a head coach. But I mean, I interviewed for a bunch of jobs before I got this one, and it always kept coming back, well, we really like him. He just hasn't been a coordinator before, and uh, that was frustrating and, you know, was an obstacle, and I don't know if I ever really overcame it, except when I got offered this job, and it was finally like, thank you, you know. Um, had, an, had an athletic director in Ray Tanner that was willing to overlook the fact that maybe he hasn't been an offensive or defensive coordinator, but let's look what he has done and how that has prepared him to be the head coach of South Carolina, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. How long into your coaching career did you feel like, because you mentioned, I felt like I was ready yeah. to be a head coach. When did that click? You're like, all right, it's time for the next step. Good question. Um, you know, I mean, I can remember I can remember inter interviewing or having like a phone interview for a head coaching job at a smaller school back in 2008 or nine when I was here at South Carolina. And you maybe think you're ready, but then you look back and you're like, oh, there's no way I could have been ready for that. You know, so I think you always think you're ready. And even after 20 years of coaching, sitting in this chair, you're still never ready just because there's nothing to really prepare you for this job and what it entails. But really for me, um, being around Coach Spurrier here at South Carolina for four years was a great experience to go along with the coaches that I had worked with previously to that point. And then the five years that I spent at Virginia Tech with my dad were really beneficial. I was the running backs coach, but I was also the associate head coach. So, um, you know, a lot of times that's just a title, but he really allowed me to do some things dealing with media, um, speaking engagements, things like that, that maybe helped prepare me a little bit better. 
And then probably, I would say maybe going to Georgia after that. I got a chance to work with Kirby Smart at Georgia in his very first year at Georgia. So I was able to see kind of how they implemented things at the University of Georgia in, on day one going into year one. And that was a really good experience for me as well. So I think I always felt like I was prepared <laughs> and ready with each step and each new opportunity. I got better and better prepared and um, you know and then certainly once I got to once I got to Virginia Tech uh, those interviews really started happening more frequently with about head coaching jobs whether it be at Virginia Tech or jobs I interviewed for at Georgia to be a head coach or Oklahoma um, and then each time you interview you may not get it or you may not take it but you feel better prepared for the next interview and have a better idea of what to expect you feel like you're always ready but then you're never quite ready yep. until it happens I've heard it's a whirlwind when someone gets the call, you get signed as a head coach, and then it just starts almost right away. What was the experience like a for you? A whirlwind. It was, it was insane. Um, <laughs> so we had COVID at the time. Oh. Um, and literally my last day getting out of quarantine was the day that I got the job. So... I had been quarantining in like the upstairs room in our house in Norman, Oklahoma for however many days it was, the protocols in 1410, I can't remember. But um, the night I get the call, my wife's like, you know, you're getting out of quarantine tomorrow. We should get one of those like, like IVs where come, people come in and like put an IV in, just kind of pump you up and get you mm -hmm. going, give you a little bit of energy. So I'm getting an IV in the house in Norman Saturday <laughs> night. I get done with it, getting the IV. Uh, phone call comes, get the job, get to, offered the job. That was a very emotional moment. And then it was literally, this was like, I don't know, nine, 10 o'clock on a Saturday night in Oklahoma. And South Carolina wants to send the school plane to pick me up the very next morning at like 8.30. So, I mean, you're literally, you're ready to go to bed, but you realize like in less than 12 hours, you're getting on a plane, you're flying to South Carolina, you've got to get into this building, you gotta meet with the current team, you gotta meet with the existing coaching staff, you have to get on the phone with recruits, you, try, you gotta try and keep these players on the current South Carolina team that you don't even know, you're trying to keep them from transferring, wow. you're trying to hire a staff, not to mention you got a family back at home you're worried about. Um, uh, it was a lot, and then to get here, it was even more overwhelming, I'll be honest, than what I thought it would be. I mean, it was just one of those, you're running on fumes. I'm a list guy. Like, I try and be, like, very organized and detailed and structured with my day. Okay, I got this, 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 these ten things I got to do. And um, um, I can remember, like, I'd come in early. I'm a morning person. I'd get in here really early. I'd have, like, my things I wanted to accomplish. And it would get to be 9 o'clock at night, and I hadn't touched a single thing on the list because oh. there's so many other things that come around. And so, so many people want five, 10 minutes of your time, which I get it, but it was a whirlwind. Um, there were many days where I kid that I wanted to crawl under my desk and call Lincoln <laughs> Riley at Oklahoma back and be like, hey, you haven't hired anybody to replace me yet, have you? Because it's just like, ah, Lee. But um, Dabo uh, at Clemson, Dabo Sweeney, he called me probably like third day and just literally said, uh, he said, he, he called, he's like, do you have your, uh, do you have your snorkeling gear and your, your scuba gear? And I'm like, what are you talking about? And he goes, 
hang in there. Like, I know you're swimming right now. I know it feels like you're drowning because there's so much coming at you. Just hang in there. It'll get better. And slowly but surely it did. But that's what I go back to what I said a minute ago. Like, you're never prepared for this job because there's so many things that being a head coach in the SEC entails that you don't even think about Mm -hmm. that just – particularly early on when just so many people are coming at you and uh it's a lot um you know text messages phone calls you're trying to return calls you're trying to return texts and not to mention i went back to oklahoma because we were playing in the conference championship game and i wanted to finish what we started at oklahoma too so i think i got here on a sunday i was here sunday monday tuesday went back to oklahoma for like um, i don't know a week maybe and then I came right back or maybe I came back for four days I can't remember but um, it was a busy busy time but um, we made it through what are some of those you mentioned like having to answer all the phone calls text messages emails like the non-football related tasks that may have surprised you taking Um, on a head coaching job just um, one the number of you know, speaking engagements that you get asked to do. I mean, you, you think about it, but you don't think about it. I mean, there's so many of those that come through. And then probably the, it was eye-opening for me. You just, you realize that every single person, when you're the head coach now, every single person in this building is looking to you for direction. And you knew that, but until you're actually in that role, you really don't realize it, just the magnitude of it. So yeah, we've got we've got um, 10 on the field coaches. We've got 115, 120 players, but then we've got a whole weight room of strength coaches. We've got an entire training room of trainers, uh, nutrition, video, the equipment room, um, support staff. I mean, there's just recruiting. There's just so many different departments and, um, you know, you're responsible for all of them. And not only, but then early on, you're responsible for hiring all of them. Oh, you know man. what I mean? So like, you can go hire 10 coaches. That was a challenge, but now you got to put together a strength and conditioning staff. You got to put together uh, recruiting staff. I mean, there's just so many positions that you have to hire when you come in year one. Uh, that was probably the biggest. You knew it, but then you're just looking at it. You're like, man, I mean, there's a lot that has to get done here in a short period of time for us to get up and running. Sounds like it, yeah. for sure. Yeah. Um, I heard, I think it was Steve Spurrier who said that uh, a team takes after the personality of the coach. Yeah. How do you think the personality of that team may have changed when you joined the team? And, and how would you describe the personality of, of South Carolina now? Yeah. I would agree with Coach Spurrier on that. I mean, I saw that firsthand with him, just kind of how the great teams we had at South Carolina when he was here, they really did took, take on his personality in a lot of ways, for sure. Um, how it changed, you know, I don't know. Um, when I came in, I met with every player on the team and just sat down with them in my office. That's over 100 meetings that I had in my office. and. I asked them all, it was a get to know you, you know, tell me about yourself, tell me about your family, tell me why you chose South Carolina, where you're from. But then I also asked every single one of them, why am I here? So why did the coach that you came to play for, why is he no longer the head coach? Why am I now sitting in this office? Like, what are the issues here? What needs to change? And I wrote down everything and just kind of kept, kept tabs on it. And then at the end, just added it all up and, kind of saw where the issues were and maybe and where things needed to change. And it was evident to me 
there, there wasn't a lot of um, joy in the program at the time. And that's going to happen. They were dealing with COVID. This was coming off the 2020 season. So there wasn't a lot of joy because you were, you did have a lot of isolation. Um, they had just won two games and their head coach got fired. So there wasn't, a, I get it, there wasn't a lot of joy. But it was evident to me that guys didn't look forward to coming into this building each and every day. And I wanted to change that, you know. So what changed and then what is, you know, our personality? One, I would hope that you, when you watch us on the field, you're say, you would say this is a team that plays really, really, really hard, that loves to compete, that truly loves playing with one another and playing for each other out there, which is harder to do that than ever in college athletics. Um, and then off the field, the same thing. Like we talk all the time about wanting to be the, the closest, most connected team and all of college football. And uh, we, we, it, we, we don't want that to be just words on a wall. I mean, it's something that we really try and embody. And, uh, and it starts with our guys want, wanting to come into this building each and every day and looking forward to coming in here each and every day and being around each other. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. It seems like you've made it a fun atmosphere yeah. and environment. I know you like to do things that other coaches necessarily wouldn't do in terms of, you know, a soldier boy video or the office skits. Yep. It, is that just part of who you've always been? Is that, is that a, you know, do you think that comes with the job of trying to promote yourself as much as the yep. program? Yeah. Um, we do have a lot of fun here, but I think our players would tell you, like, this is not an easy program to be a part of. Like, accountability is a core value of this program, and, like, we – hold our guys accountable for everything on and off the field. We as coaches, yes, we have fun. We talk about positive energy and joy, but our coaches are very demanding. And if you asked our players, we are, you know, very, 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 very honest with our guys. And, and you know, um, um, they know where they stand with us. So it's very, when you, when you have love as a core value and you're close and connected, you can have these open, honest, raw conversations as well. And we have a lot of those as well. So it's not easy being a part of the team here. Um, but yeah, one, that's my personality. It really, for me, it was, it was who I am. Um, and then it's also being able to, to market our program. I mean, let's, let's, let's face it. We're not a program that's won 15 national championships and, and has consistently had number one recruiting classes year after year in the country. We're a program that, you know, we're, we're working our way up there and we need to get the message out about South Carolina football as much as we can. Uh, and then a lot of it is just me just having fun. Like this is a high pressure job. It's stressful. It's demanding. I get it. If we don't win football games, I get fired. But I also know how blessed I am to be in this position. And um, and I'm gonna. I want to talk about our players looking forward to coming into this building. I do as well. And the more I can show that through social media or whatever it might be, I want to be able to do that. Like I, I love getting to coach these kids, these young men on this team, and love being the coach at South Carolina. And the more I can, you know, show that and embody that, the better. 
you mentioned like those raw, honest conversations that you have to have. Obviously, I don't not looking for specific names or, or, or specific instances, but like what are some examples of a, a tough, honest conversation you may have to have in this job? Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's having honest conversations with players about where they stand. Um, you know, after every every year, but particularly after spring practice each year, I meet with every single player on the team and tell them like, here's where you are right now. Like, I don't want you to transfer or go anywhere else. But for example, two years ago, we had two senior defensive linemen that were seniors that were great young men, good players. But at the time, they were probably fifth or sixth on the depth chart going into the 2022 season. And I sat down with both of them and told them, like, I don't want you going anywhere. Like, I'd be an idiot to try and run defensive linemen out of the program. But I want to be honest with you, right now, it's your senior year. You're probably not going to play as much as maybe you would like. And uh, I want you here, but if you want to look elsewhere, I'll call any coach in America for you and help you. And they both decided to leave. They Two of them transferred. They had good senior seasons at a different school. And I think it's just having those open conversations. Like the easy thing for me would be to say, hey, um, so-and-so, you know, right now you're in the mix at defensive tackle. Right. Have a good summer. You got a chance to be the starter when you come back. But if that's not real and honest, then, you know, I'm not being fair to them. So just those conversations. Uh, trust is a core value here in this program. And for that that trust goes both ways. And I tell our coaches all the time, like, be honest with kids. Don't ever lie to them. Um, and I tell our players, like, you may, not, you may not like what we say, but we're always doing it with good intentions and, and from a good place. And we're trying to be honest with you. I mean, telling someone what they want to hear versus what they need to hear yeah. is a di like that's a difficult thing to do. Yeah. Did that take time to just like almost turn that switch yeah. in your brain? Like, I just got to be honest. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, um, I've got a little sign or not sign, but a little note on my desk that I wrote to myself. It just talks about, you know, as a leader, you have to love making tough decisions. Like you got to embrace that. And it's the same thing that goes back to having open and honest conversations. And whether it may, it may be me as the head coach to a player, it may be me as the head coach to another coach, um, another grown man that you're having these conversations with. That's why, you know, that's why I'm the head coach. I've got to do those things as well. But uh, I'd be lying if I said it was uh, easy. And it's certainly something that I've grown into. You know, there's no doubt about it. And you had experience as an assistant coach because you're coaching the guys at your position and you want to have that honesty and open conversations with them as well. But it's different when you're in this chair and you've got 120 players, an entire program of people that you've got to be willing to have those conversations with as well. I want to touch on recruiting. I know this school takes a lot of pride in the recruits that you guys bring in and, and, and the, you know, looking in the right places. How difficult is it to keep recruiting? Because that seems like that never stops. No, it doesn't. Um, you know, I think there's a misconception that when you have a signing class, um, the class signs and then you kind of take a break from recruiting and then you get ready to go again with the next class in a few months. Like it never ends. I mean, before we did this interview this morning and then before we took the practice field this morning, I mean, I sat at my desk and was sending text sent text messages to probably 45 high school recruits that are in, wow. that are juniors in high school right now, wishing them luck in their first games coming up this weekend, you know? So the recruiting part never ends, um, you know, it's part of it, but you know, the earlier you can get on guys, 
give, that gives you more time to develop relationships with them. And, uh, you know, I enjoy that aspect of it. I enjoy people and enjoy getting to know people. And, and um, you know, recruiting's gone really well since we got here. Every year it's improved from 2020 to 2021 to 2022 to 2023 now and uh, on and on and on. So we just got to keep on that keep on that trajectory. It seems like your resume is all over the facility in terms of what you've done with this program, something to show recruits in terms of I, I, even just outside your office, there's a picture of all the players from yep. your program that have made it to the NFL. Yep. Uh, what are some of the selling points that you try and sell people on South Carolina? One, it's a great location. Uh, South Carolina, it's a awesome state. <laughs> you know, you're close to the beaches, you're close to the mountains, you're in the capital city here. Uh, we don't have major pro sports here in South Carolina. Uh, so, you know, South Carolina's SEC, there's so much attention here on this program. Great academics this is a great place to go to school. Um, we And then this facility that we're in, uh, the opportunity to play in the SEC, um, the recruiting base that we have here within not just in South Carolina, but with, with the surrounding states as well. It's a place that you can recruit to. And then for me, more than anything, it's just the people. Um, that's what comes up all the time with young men that we're recruiting is the people here in this program. And, and that's what we try and sell more than anything. And all that stuff on social media, so much of that is for recruits so they can see what we're uh, what we're about as a program as well and, and, and who we are. Like what you see is what you get with us. It's not like a, an act and then something else in real life. We are who we are. With recruiting, you're bringing people in, and now with this transfer portal, it, you got to retain yeah. the team here. How difficult is it to keep players? I know you, you touched on that a few times throughout this conversation, yeah. but just keeping people in the program. Yeah, it's certainly a challenge. It's different because guys can leave, and basically there's two windows a year where you're, every player on our team is an unrestricted free agent. And um, I get asked all the time, have you had to change your coaching style because of the transfer portal? And the, uh, the answer is no. I mean, if anything, we coach them harder than um, than we did before. We, um, you know, we're open. We coach them hard. I want to make this a great place for them to go to school and play football at, and um, realize that they can accomplish all their goals here on and off the field. And if a young man doesn't feel that and feels like he's uh, would be better off somewhere, I hate to see him go. We wish him well, and then we move on. Like I, if I got 120 players on the team and. Three decide to transfer. Well, I got 117 other guys that I better worry about. Yeah. And and then I get the opportunity, if someone does leave, to hopefully replace them with someone even better. Um, and it just is what it is. Uh, but for us, it just goes back to I don't think about each day, man, I really got to um, treat this guy different or I better be nice to this guy because he might leave after the season. For me, it just goes back being open and honest and real. And um, uh, every single day is, you know, an opportunity to get closer and more connected as a team and try and get better as a team and, and uh, strengthen the bonds within this team where guys want to be a part of this and don't want to leave. I want to close on, on this. And, and, you know, I touched on that wall of players that have moved on to the NFL. And I know you've got a great thing going here in South Carolina. In terms of your long-term dreams and aspirations, do you ever see yourself coaching the NFL? You know, when I was younger, that was always intriguing to me, the NFL part of it. Um, you know, I was as an assistant coach, I pursued some NFL opportunities as an assistant and things that didn't work out or didn't take for whatever reason. 
Um, but as I've gotten more, as I've gotten older, not really. Really? Um, you know, to me, I'm coaching in the SEC, so I feel like I'm at the <laughs> highest level of football. And no disrespect to the NFL, but I mean, just the to be a head football coach in the SEC, this is pretty freaking awesome. And um, my family and I, we love living here. Uh, I've got a freshman in high school and a fourth grader. I'd love for them to not have to move again. And um, uh, I'm, don't get me wrong, I like the NFL, and, and it's uh, it's it's pretty special at that level as well. But I love just being able to deal with this age group, you know, 18, 19, 20-year-old young men that are right out of high school. And it's to me, it's very rewarding when, because this is happening already, where, you know, you recruit a guy out of high school, he plays for you, you see him graduate college, you go to his wedding, he has a child of his own. I mean, I'm 46 years old, so now I'm getting to the age where like sons of guys that I played with wow. in college <laughs> are guys that we're looking at and recruiting as well. So I just love this age group, you know, and and um, and uh, you know the lifestyle of a, of a college coach, and it's pretty pretty special what we have here in Columbia. It is very special. Thank you so much for taking us and, and welcoming us into your world and uh, taking some time out of your busy day before the season gets started, you Coach Beaver. No, thanks for uh, coming down. Awesome visiting with you and appreciate all you do. Well, there you heard from Shane Beamer, Brett. I know you got a chance to obviously listen to the the conversation. What stood out to you in terms of things Shane said? I mean, especially for me, listening about that whirlwind that he had, getting that job, that was fascinating to me. I, I think, Andrew, probably the two biggest things that stood out for me is the first day that he ultimately was on the job was his first day out of COVID quarantine. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is the biggest day of your professional career after spending 20 years of trying to make it to become a head coach. And your first day on the job, you've literally been locked up in a room for two weeks. And now here you are showing up at the university. you got to meet with other head coaches or other coaches, other players. Players, um, the social media team, the recruiting team. Like, I mean, he talks about all these different departments that I don't think we realize. When we think football, we think X's and O's. This guy's right. the CEO of Gamecock football right now and doing a stellar job, by the way. He got a phone call and they're like, hang in there. I know it feels like you're drowning. You're going to get better. Like, it's going to get better. I thought that was so interesting, especially well, like it was Dabo. It was Dabo that called him, though. Yeah. So that, that makes me a little. I think Dabo was trying to say, I don't trust Clemson under any <laughs> circumstances. <laughs> um, after after we stopped recording last week, we got into a fascinating conversation. I wish we recorded it about recruiting and the transfer portal, and we kind of touched on that towards the end of this conversation. I mean, maintaining, especially with the money that's coming in, how do you how does South Carolina keep players when Texas has such a big football franchise going you know the west coast has powerhouses i mean like how does south carolina stay in the game i think you have to ask yourself as a college football fan like how in the world can a hit football coach even do their job when their biggest job right now is to go out and recruit the best players in the country and then they have to retain the best players in the country any other sport that is at the level that college football is now at, you have the ability to take your key personnel and lock them in. They can't just walk in and walk out. With college football, it's an unrestricted free agent market every single year. So yeah. I can't imagine the pressure that these college coaches have. And then to your point, when you look at which teams are going to take the most advantage of the transfer portal, 
it's going to be, in my mind, it's going to be the major media markets because you're going to sell more merchandise if you're a player in Los Angeles than you are in Columbia, South Carolina. And you're going to have more billionaire alumni at Texas and Southern Cal and Oregon than you're going to have at Clemson, South Carolina. So I think South Carolina has a lot of positives and things that we can go and recruit on. I think our challenge is not going to be to get the young player that's 17, 18, 19 years old. I think it's going to be to keep the upperclassmen. I mean, we just saw Marshawn Lloyd, Jordan Birch, um, a couple key players that were rising juniors and seniors mm-hmm. leave the program because we couldn't pay them necessarily what the other schools could pay them. So I think that's going to be the biggest thing that we face as a challenge for the University of South Carolina. But look, man, I, I think that the University of South Carolina, and I say this as a Gamecock graduate, is the greatest thing in the entire state. We're a d- very diverse university. We're a d- very diverse fan base. We're very passionate. To Shane's point, we have not won 15 national championships like some other schools have, right? But our fans show up. They give it their all. 80,000-plus uh, strong every single Saturday at williams Bryce Stadium. And, and I don't think anybody ever comes to place here and regrets it. I think they all learn to love it. And Shane has completely changed from the Muschamp area, the culture. And so when you sat him, you, you, you heard him say he sat down every player and he wrote down yeah. the things they didn't like about mm-hmm. the school. Well, he couldn't have fixed that if he didn't ask them the question. So he asked him a very difficult question. And you have to realize it shows how open-minded he is coming into his new job to care what a 20-year-old has to tell him the problem of the football program is. That's pretty damn mature on his part. Yeah, and it, it takes that 20-year-old, too, to be able to have the maturity to speak openly about the problems that are going on with the, the program that he's coming in. I thought that was interesting Uh especially him talking about the tough conversations he has to have with players. You know, there were, I I think I remember there were a few players that he couldn't promise a starting job to. He wanted to keep them, but he had to be honest, be like, you might be better off going somewhere else. That takes a lot of skill and ability to be able to have those tough conversations I thought was pretty interesting. It it doesn't. There's another whole chapter of college football coming where we're going to see players making more than the coaches. I mean, when you look at the Jadavion Clownies and the Johnny Manzels, when they came out, they could have got a boatload of money to go wherever they wanted to play. We just saw with Archie Manning, one of the most highly recruited guys to ever come out of high school. So when we see those top five-star blue-chip players that are going to be generational talents, they're going to walk in making more money than every coach on the coaching staff, except maybe the head coach. They may even make more than he does. So the, the whole college football model – Wow. I can't imagine this being the job that you have to – because it all comes down to recruiting. You can't win without the best players on the field. Then you have to have the best coaching. Then you have to have the best execution. I can't imagine the pressure that college football head coaches are feeling right now. It's amazing. Shane Beamer, at times, man, he makes it seem like he has no pressure on his shoulders. Like, he's just – that's what I love about his personality. He seems like he can just kind of ride with the punches. And I've obviously, there's probably some behind-the-scenes stuff. But. Well, I think you got to look at the pedigree that he has in his family. And yeah. we talked about this a little bit before. The history that he has, because he's been in major programs. I mean, you're talking about Oklahoma, Virginia Tech, the University of Georgia. I mean, he, he's touched a lot of head coaches that are going to be Hall of Fame coaches, right? So um, the, the thing I'm most impressed about with him is he looks to be the guy that knows he's showing up and he's prepared. And if you're prepared, you don't worry about anything else. You're not nervous because you know you've done everything you can to win that day. And I don't mean win that day on game day because he can't take a day off. 
He's got to text recruits, call recruits, yeah. follow their social media. He's got to put out content. Um, Justin King and his social media team at University of South Carolina do a phenomenal job. And this just isn't about Coach Beamer. This is about every major college football program in the country and what these head coaches are up against. A lot of challenges. It's very interesting. I It was so great for me to immerse myself in their world and see the heartbeat of that facility. It was very cool. And special thanks to Shane, yeah. Stephen Fink for setting all this up. Brett, thanks for taking some time to talk some Gamecock football. And uh, we've got some more next level guests lined up. I'm excited about it. Kind of venturing into different genres of maybe not motorsports world. I'll just tee it up, leave it at that. But uh, Brett, I, I, I think you now got to go down the music path too, Andrew, man, because you've done some, you've covered some phenomenal stories of, of some phenomenal people that are at the top of their game. I, I yep. think I think you got to look at music too. I uh, we are, we might have something interesting down Good. the road. Just gonna say that. Good. Awesome. I'll be listening. Sweet. Check out Dirty Mo Media on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Dirty Mo. Dirty Mo.